money laundering and fraud each year cost the UK economy £350 billion. That's about 15% of our GDP. It's double the health budget. It's triple the education budget. So it's a massive loss to the UK economy. Welcome to The Laundry, the podcast connecting AML, compliance and financial crime to the real world. The money. I'm your host, Marit, and in this episode, we are exploring why the UK should be paying attention to the economic crime bill. Let's face it, when it comes to money laundering, the UK is a serious player. In fact, if money laundering was an Olympic sport, research suggests that the UK would be on the podium with a silver medal, only beat by Team USA. But now, a group of UK politicians are looking to fight that with a new bill, currently passing through the Houses of Parliament. So, what is the Economic Crime Bill? How will it impact the people and businesses of the UK? And can political power actually help to stop money laundering and financial crime? To find out more about this topic, we went to Portcullis House in Westminster to speak with Dame Margaret Hodge, the Member of Parliament for Barking. To set the scene, we are sitting in an office on the fifth floor with the most amazing view of Big Ben and Westminster Palace. Across the road, the House of Lords, the UK's second chamber, were in the middle of debating the bill we are talking about. To say it was a hectic morning would be an understatement. Margaret had just got back from Prime Minister's questions. Then her phone alerted her to the fact that she had just been the victim of financial crime herself, which she was trying to report to her bank. We managed to grab some precious time with her before the division bell rang, telling MPs another vote was about to happen and they had to go back over to the House of Commons. Listen out for that sound later on. We started our conversation by asking Margaret how she found herself championing the causes of fighting fraud and financial crime. Well, I am not an accountant, I'm not a lawyer, but I became involved in this field when I chaired one of the Parliament's select committees, the Public Accounts Committee, which oversees government expenditure, sees whether there's value for money, also whether there's any bad practice in there. And when I first got the job, I thought we would just be looking at departmental expenditure and assessing whether or not they had provided value for the taxpayer. But one of my colleagues came up to me and said, look at Vodafone's tax bill. And I thought, what on earth has Vodafone's tax bill got to do with a committee that oversees public expenditure? But it goes to the heart of whether or not our tax body, HMRC, is efficient and effective in collecting the money in. So it is about the effectiveness of HMRC. So I started looking at issues like that. A Goldman Sachs sweetheart tax deal was one of the first things that we lighted upon. We then looked at Amazon and Google and Starbucks and how they uh, used financial structures for no other purpose but to avoid tax. But I talk about a spectrum, and there is a spectrum where you start with, in the UK, perhaps people will pay their cleaner by cash. They shouldn't, because that's a tax avoidance scheme, but many do. They then might go on to pay their builder by cash. 
that is even more serious. And you move from that sort of that sphere into more and more serious tax avoidance, aggressive tax avoidance, which then becomes tax evasion. And that quickly morphs into economic crime, fraud and money laundering. And so my interest went through that spectrum. And money laundering is a massive problem, as you alluded to in your introduction. It's difficult to get an accurate figure. But the best guesstimate we've got is one from academics last year, which suggested that money laundering and fraud each year cost the UK economy £350 billion. That's about 15% of our GDP. It's double the health budget, the amount we spend each year on health. It's triple the education budget, the amount we spend on education. So it's a massive loss to the UK economy. And the UK has got a very big financial services sector. I want that to prosper. We all want that to prosper. But I think it will not have a long-term good outlook if it tries to make its money on the back of dirty money. Thanks for putting that number into perspective. And I have got goosebumps now thinking about the recent crisis in the NHS and all of that, and just thinking about if we were able to combat this, how much more resources could be put into healthcare? Quite. Let's say, and it's not just that it could. There, there would be more resources for absolutely desperate uh, public services. It's also that so often fraud and money laundering involves people who just aren't just after the money, but it's drug smugglers, people smugglers, terrorists. So it's all sorts of criminals, kleptocrats. There's, you know, the, re- the reason it's got such a high profile at the moment in the UK does come out of the Ukraine war and the role of Russian oligarchs and kleptocrats uh, in financing Putin and his regime. So it, it has a much wider repercussion than simply just being financial bad, mm. bad doing. So we need to talk about the new bill. But before that, I, for our listeners, we are now here in Margaret's office talking about fighting financial crime. And as we enter the office, we just realized you, you were on the phone with your bank because you have become a victim of fraud. And it just shows that anyone can be it, right? Fraud is the fastest growing crime in the UK. We reckon it hits about one in 11 adults, but that's only when you report the fraud to the police. I haven't reported this to the police. I reported it to my bank, and I was alerted, actually. I was sitting in the chamber in the House of Commons listening to the Prime Minister give a statement on the current situation uh, in Gaza with the absolutely tragic um, bomb that hit a hospital in Gaza last night. And suddenly on my phone, I get an alert of a transaction in dollars. I'm in the UK, so it should be in pounds sterling. That was coming out of my my credit card, for which I had absolutely no um, knowledge. So I'm afraid I delayed the start of this interview with you whilst I sorted that out with my bank. Uh, It took a long time. It takes a long time. (laughs) So, but let's get into the topic. So what is the Economic Crime and Corporate Transparency Bill? And what is it proposing? Well... In some ways, it's doing good stuff, but I would say it's not going far enough and fast enough. So the principal aim and objective was to reform companies' house, and that is where we have, if you set up a company in the UK, you have to register that with companies' house. At the moment, it costs you £12 to set up a company in the UK. Yeah, and anyone you can do can it just in 20 do it. minutes. Mm. So every wrongdoer 
every criminal, every kleptocrat, every you know drug smuggler uses the UK corporate system to set up a whole series of uh, of companies through which they can launder their money, literally send it from one account to another in all sorts of jurisdictions around the world. And by that way, hide the real source of their money, hide where they got it from, and then finally bring it into the legitimate system to spend on everything from houses here. And there's a lot of um, houses here, particularly in London, that are bought through um, uh, companies based in BVI, but registered here in the UK, or through sending their children to private schools, universities, uh, jewellery, art, all sorts of ways, but they try and bring it into the legitimate system. So it was to reform Companies House so that at the moment that huge database of who owns what company, the beneficial owner of companies, is faulty. It's full of, you know, the two-year-olds, babies not born who are put down as beneficial owners. There are all sorts of nominees. All sorts of silly names. And silly I've names. So many weird addresses, examples. The same address used for thousands and thousands of different companies. All that, it's, it's a completely useless database. So the purpose of the bill is to reform the database. And that's a good thing to do. But we have been pressing for the last year to get much, much more into the bill. I think if you're going to tackle this problem of uh, uh, fraud and money laundering, and you know we have the AML rules and regulations, but they're not abided to at the moment. Otherwise, we wouldn't be the jurisdiction of choice for so much dirty money. I think if you're going to tackle it, you have to take action on four fronts. We don't want more regulation. We just want smart regulation. And I'll come back to that. We want maximum transparency so you can follow the money. We want tough enforcement, which we don't have here in the UK. They're much better at it in the USA than we are here. And then we want proper accountability through Parliament to uh, the media, to campaigners and to individuals. So those are the four areas that we try to get reforms on. We succeeded in improving the bill, but it still hasn't gone far enough so what or fast is it, enough. So what is it that you think haven't got far enough? Like what didn't you get into it that you would have liked to see? Well, for example, on transparency, we know that with a lot of the Russian oligarchs that they have now hidden their money in trusts. And whilst Companies House has information about companies, which is now publicly available, there is not information about about beneficial ownership of trusts that is publicly available. We need to get there. And uh, this gov- the Conservative government are just reluctant to do it. I have no idea why. My only thought is that they will have set up trusts for their, you know, rich children and grandchildren, for, to which I have absolutely no objection. But uh, they don't want to reveal their uh, individual wealth through a public register. That's the only rational explanation. But if we don't have that public knowledge about trusts, we're, we're inhibited in what we can do. The other thing is in 2018, we're going back many years now, I worked with a Conservative Member of Parliament who's now a minister, Andrew Mitchell, and we uh, got through legislation in the UK Parliament to have public registers of beneficial ownership, again, transparency, uh, in our overseas territories and Crown dependencies. These are, are the UK tax havens. At the time, we got it through They promised to implement it by the end of 2023. We're coming to the end of 2023. But there has been a very difficult judgment in the European courts where a company 
Um, yeah, uh, the, the court uh, justice ruling on yeah, the... Yeah, you know about that. Yeah, you yeah, so I don't done need an to, episode. We've you've done, done an, an episode. episode on it. <laughs> well, so all our, all our tax havens, our Crown Dependencies and Overseas Territories, are now saying they don't want to implement the UK government will. So we are about to launch a very vigorous campaign. And I think ministers will support us on this to ensure that we do get transparency. If I think, for example, particularly about the British Virgin Isles, which is one of the uh, UK overseas territories, a lot of this dirty money, fraud and money laundering goes through, uh, goes through the BVI. So that's really important. So that's on the transparency. The other thing on the regulation is, which I think is really important, is I mean, I can go on and on about this, so stop me if you think I'm getting too much. But the other thing about regulation is that the wrongdoers don't dream up these schemes to launder their money or to execute fraud on their own. They are invented and facilitated by uh, professionals working in the financial services industry. That's not to say that, you know, we have a too many dishonest people, a lot of very honest people, but too many people who collude and support uh, this wrongdoing, whether they're accountants or whether they're lawyers or whether they're bankers, whether they're company service providers, whether they're estate agents. So we wanted to bring in what is called a failure to prevent new offence. And that would mean that all the professionals involved in either fraud or money laundering could face criminal prosecution if they failed to prevent either money laundering or fraud. And we didn't don't want that because we want to bang up into prison a whole lot of accountants and lawyers. What we know from previous experience is that that becomes a very powerful incentive to encourage behaviour change, and they would then stop colluding with or facilitating fraud and money laundering. Now, ministers know we're, and we have experience of that from other areas. We know, for example, we know from the construction industry here in the UK, in the 70s, people used to die and get injured on sites. And we introduced a failure to prevent offence then. And overnight, the number of accidents on building sites went down by over 90%, 95%. So there's that experience. And we also know from the Bribery Act, which was introduced in 2010, and from tax evasion legislation, where there is a failure to prevent offence, that it works well. Not that it leads to a lot of prosecutions, that it changes behaviour. Can't get enough of the laundry? Not only are we giving you a weekly podcast dishing out insights and learnings on the biggest topics in AML and compliance, but now we have our very own newsletter. Fresh Laundry with me, Marit, is a place for hot takes, looks behind the scenes on the latest episodes and the best recommendations in news, articles, podcasts and more. Find the link in the episode description. Let's clean up your inbox with some fresh laundry. So the bill is being passed now and from what you said earlier, it sounds like you're up against some big forces as well. But what is the most challenging thing, challenging piece of getting this legislation passed through? Well, getting these reforms that we know are absolutely essential. I mean, another one which I haven't talked about, it's no good having legislation if you don't enforce it. And all the enforcement agencies here in the UK have faced cuts. They've all cut back on their prosecutions by massive amounts. And we wanted to see them properly funded so that as we pass the laws to try and stop money laundering and fraud, they can 
pursue the wrongdoers. And we, had, we don't want to put that burden on taxpayers. What we thought was a very sensible scheme was that you should use the income that you derive from fines that you put on, on the people who behave badly, use that, recycle it back into law enforcement. And if I, to go back to where I started, it costs you 12 quid to set up a company in the UK. I think you could massively increase the charge without putting off any small enterprise from starting business. You could go to £50, £100, and I don't think that would put off any legitimate business. And again, you could use that income to have tough law enforcement. So when you say to me, what's the most important thing? I think the regulation isn't smart enough. I think the enforcement isn't good enough. I think the transparency isn't sufficient. And then there isn't enough accountability from either what the enforcement agencies do or indeed how Companies House performs and all the other parts of government in this area. A lot of our listeners are obviously professionals working in banks, working with AML, KYC, etc. How do you think, let's say, this bill passes, there's more money to enforce the legislation? How will this affect, affect people who work to prevent financial crime in banks? It will have an impact on them because companies' house will require more data. I think one of the problems is that all these professionals are supervised by organizations. There's a whole range of organizations. And FATFA, the Financial Action Task Force, which is a global body that goes and uh, examines, I'm sure you've done a program on that too, <laughs> goes and examines a, uh, the implementation of AML regulations, said that our supervision of the professionals is far too weak here in the UK. Our government has launched a consultation document on the, that supervision. But if the people providing the data can't be trusted, you're in trouble. And you might end up producing another register of uh, phony data. So we are, I'm quite cross that the government has not agreed to expedite that supervision of those professionals, which would make them behave better. I'm cross that they have uh, completely emasculated our attempt to bring in a duty to prevent economic crime. And I think there's more to be done. But there will be a change. There is, you know, more, a bit more transparency. There will be a bit more enforcement. There will be a bit more uh, checking of data. So hopefully that will support less financial crime. I just don't think they went far enough or fast enough. What are some of the, you know, we talked about how this will impact the professionals working in AML in banks. How... How will this impact uh, your constituents in embarking? Well, hopefully they'd be subject to less fraud. I mean, if you think fraud is the biggest crime facing them, and it probably hits poorer people more. And I have a, a constituency of, uh, where we have a, a high level of poverty and deprivation. I hope it'll help them not be defrauded in the way that <laughs> I was this morning. Yes. Uh... <laughs> But it's it's a bigger issue, really. It's really something... I mean, we, what we want to do is get a change of behaviour in the financial... We want to clean up the financial services sector here in the UK. Um, and I think most people, most of the people listening to this or will will agree with me that there is there should be no room for uh, these actors to carry out 
their bad practices here. We should root I, them out definitely. and punish you know, them if necessary. Yeah, you did mention early, earlier a lot of kleptocrats. I know the British author Oliver Below that we had yeah. on the podcast. He even did the kleptocrat tours together with uh, yeah. someone he knew to go around uh, yeah. Belgrave, go around London and show the houses that have been bought with kleptocrats' uh, money. So the same journalist, uh, Oliver Bellow, he described the UK as butler to the world. Do you think that reputation is fair? Yeah, I, I have a lot of time for Oliver Bellow, and I work very closely with him. In fact, I go, I do go and speak at those on those kleptocratic tours oh, as well. Really? You, at the end, <laughs> I don't do the whole tour, but I come at the end in the hope that uh, I can convince all the journalists that what they're seeing is really important, that we should do something about it all. So I do think, yeah, we are jurisdiction of choice for too many people. We have got to stop that. We've got to turn around. It's a big tanker to turn around, but we have got to do that. And hopefully, this bill, when it becomes an act in the next, actually in the next week or so, so it having, is very close to having. We're, it we're having one more go at trying to tighten up stuff that we think, you know, there are two or three things that we're still having a go at this week. In fact, today I think there is a debate in the House of Lords. Oh wow! And if they pass it, it'll come back to the House of Commons in the next before we go into the new parliamentary year. Will you celebrate when it passes? Um, I, I will half celebrate, but I do also feel it's an opportunity missed, and I regret that. So I see our time is coming to an end. You need to run. But if you were to suggest a topic or a guest for the laundry, uh, who do you think we should go and talk to? Well, you've obviously talked to Oliver, have you? I, yeah, I have. Um, golly. I think what is particularly interesting is how the Russians are... Um, that means we've got a vote. This will now go twice. Oh, I thought it was the timer for the episode. <laughs> this goes on and on. So You I can just do it over the sound. It's, that's, uh, yeah, yeah, okay, go for so it. the person I would talk to is Catherine Belton, who has written a really powerful book which lays out how the oligarchs, the Russian oligarchs, operate both within Russia and how they get their money out of Russia and into the wider world. So she's a really good person to talk to. Thank you so much for joining me. Where can people find out oh, more well, about you? Oh, they just have to contact me at the House of Commons. Okay, great. <laughs> you flew over from Norway. Yes, to do this show with you. Oh my God, sorry, it's been such chaos. makes a go makes a Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, don't forget to go check out the back catalog and follow The Laundry on your podcast platform of choice or subscribe to our YouTube channel. Please also leave us a review. To get in touch with The Laundry team, you can comment on the Strize LinkedIn page or email laundry at strize.ai or send me an email at marit at strize.ai. Your host for this episode was me, Marit. Our producer was Matthew Dunmiles. Our engineers were Dominic Delargy and Nicholas Tan. The Laundry is proudly produced by Strice, an AML intelligence system. Find out more about us at strice.ai. See you next time. Your money makes the world go round.